Shalom, my friends, and welcome to the Roots of Flourishing podcast. I am Dr. Chris Lasante, and this is the podcast where we explore the roots of human flourishing through medical knowledge, philosophical reasoning, and theological insights. Episode 21, The Spiritual Dimension, Part 1. In this episode, we will do a deep dive into the critically important but not well-understood spiritual dimension. I think this dimension is the vital hinge for living a balanced life. The reality of all four dimensions of our humanity is nicely echoed by Dr. Andrew Newberg from the Myrna Brine Center of Integrative Medicine at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in his lecture series for the great courses entitled The Spiritual Brain, Science and Religious Experience, when he states that the brain works by integrating biological, psychological, social, and spiritual elements. Hence, Dr. Newberg reinforces the fact that our humanity consists of these four dimensions with the additional importance of our brains or minds in integrating or bringing all these dimensions into harmony with one another. As an overview of how the spiritual dimension interacts with and enhances each of the other dimensions, I will take a series of quotes from Dr. Lisa Miller's book, The Awakened Brain. Dr. Miller is a professor of psychology and education at Columbia University and has written extensively on the empirical evidence for both the reality and the necessity of our spiritual dimension. As a result of research carried out regarding the biologic dimension, she states, The subjects for whom spirituality and religion were highly important had a healthier neural structure than did those for whom spirituality and religion held medium, low, or no importance. As a psychologist, she commonly addresses the spiritual dimension's impact on the psychologic dimension. She has fascinating insights regarding the relationship of depression with spirituality when she says, Depression and spirituality appear to be two sides of the same coin, vastly different experiences that in fact share some significant physiology. I had long wondered from an epidemiological and clinical perspective if some types of depression might be a symptom of a person's craving for spirituality and a call for the spiritual self to awaken. Now we could see in a physiological, material way that spirituality is a consciousness for which all of our brains are wired and that long-term the spiritually engaged brain is a healthier brain. Dr. Miller indicates here that the brain that engages the spiritual dimension will be a brain that is less depressed and, at the same time, healthier. She later comments on the vital importance of the spiritual dimension to transform our social dimension when she states, Living only in achieving awareness, relationships tend to be transactional. We look at people in terms of how they've helped or harmed us, and our decisions tend to be unilateral, motivated by self-interest. An awakened heart gives us another possibility to make decisions and seek solutions that serve the individual and the common good. Dr. Miller's phrase, achieving awareness, is really just the psychologic dimension while the awakened heart refers to the spiritual dimension. 
She points out the transformative effect that engaging the spiritual dimension can have on the social dimension. Finally, the fact of multidimensional harmonious living can be realized when she says, altruism and love of neighbor correlated with cortical thickness across the spiritual network of the brain, including regions of bonding, suggesting a robust protective benefit of relational spirituality, a personal spirituality that emphasizes both our commitment to other humans and our awareness of a transcendent or higher power, and how divine and human love are linked. With that fine background laid, we will now dive into the relationship and love in the spiritual dimension, both in this episode and next, while a future episode will explore several errors of the notion of the spiritual dimension. Of the four dimensions, the spiritual is the least well-defined. Many different practices have been designated as spiritual, including religious feelings, beliefs, practices, a search for the sacred, or even what gives greatest meaning in life. Dr. Newberg states that spirituality can be defined as the subjective feelings, thoughts, experiences, and behaviors that arise from a search or quest for the sacred. In addition, the term sacred refers to what the individual perceives as a divine being, ultimate reality, or ultimate truth. Now, Dr. Newberg uses this definition for the purposes of research, but it makes the spiritual dimension subservient to our psychologic dimension rather than being clearly distinctive. We will define the spiritual dimension as things that are transcendently good, true, and beautiful, as well as our relationship with God, which squarely puts them in the sacred category. However, we will use collective human experience, reason, and inspired biblical texts to help us explain this dimension rather than our own subjective thoughts, emotions, or desires. Defining the spiritual dimension this way is robust for four reasons. One, it clearly distinguishes the spiritual dimension from the other three. Two, these four areas all work harmoniously together. Three, it differentiates humans from the rest of creation. And four, it reflects the nature and character of God. How do we move out from our psychologic dimension towards any of the other dimensions to include the spiritual? To reach the spiritual dimension, we need to transcend our own thoughts, emotions, and desires. Self-transcendence is key. Holocaust survivor, psychiatrist, and author of the book Man's Search for Meaning, Dr. Viktor Frankl said, Self-actualization is possible only as a side effect of self-transcendence. Dr. Miller, decades later and with the aid of modern imaging, echoes these thoughts about self-transcendence when she observes, For the first time, we could see in the scanner that spiritual awakening involves self-transcendent awareness and relationship. Dr. Newberg further observes two fundamental states of the brain functioning when he comments, The brain functions in specific ways towards self-maintenance and self-transcendence, and religion provides powerful mechanisms to accomplish these goals. 
He points out not only the fundamental process of self-transcendence that is intrinsic to our brains, but also the powerful role that religious teaching and practices can have in promoting self-transcendence. What then is transcendence? Transcendence means things that are beyond our cultural moment and broadly accepted throughout the ages. Transcendence points to something and or someone beyond our human experience, ultimately to God and his character. The categories of the good, the true, and the beautiful are enduring notions that, if transcendent, lie within the spiritual dimension. God himself, of course, is the source of this dimension, as he has made us in his image. We will also see how all these elements are intertwined, making it difficult, if not impossible, to talk about one of the elements without quickly speaking about one of the others. First, the good, which I equate with the virtues. The four cardinal virtues, justice, temperance, prudence, and courage, along with the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, are a great starting place and form a transcendent foundation across all cultures of characteristics that are praiseworthy and of noble quality. The source of these virtues is seen to be from the Spirit of God, as described in the book of Galatians when the Apostle Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Note that he says the fruit, not the fruits. The notion of the fruit being singular indicates that it is a cohesive group that all works and exists together. The virtues have frequently been described as an integrated group whereupon they all work together or not at all. For instance, courage without prudence is recklessness. Justice without love is merely harsh punishment and not loving correction. Furthermore, we have talked about the importance of pursuing the basic goods, but we need the virtues to achieve them. For instance, both marriage and friendship require prudential wisdom, but above all, love, to name just two obvious choices of virtues. The virtues in the spiritual dimension have no meaning outside their application of one of the other three dimensions, biologic, psychologic, or social. For instance, we cannot be courageous unless there is a situation in another dimension that challenges us or evokes fears within us that we need to overcome by being courageous. What use is it to say we are exercising temperance if there are no desires to overcome in any of the other three dimensions that are enticing us to overindulge? That's not to say that we should not avoid these situations that may provoke us to vices, but the virtues are not the virtues unless they are applied practically in our lives. The next area is the true. Dr. Newberg states, The brain appears to be built in such a way that it has an inherent tendency to search for sacred goals and objects. Dr. Newberg reminds us of the historical fact that throughout time, humans searched for the sacred or transcendent, and that we have been designed or wired to do so. Transcendent truths are generally enduring ideas that transcend our own time and space. This is opposed to temporally contingent facts that are specific to a certain time and place. Transcendent truths address three fundamental categories— The first is the truth about the nature of creation. 
the second, about the nature of humanity, and finally, the truth about the nature of God. In essence, all three of these point towards knowing the mind of God. Why pick these three areas? Each category is fundamentally different using our four-dimension model. All creation has a material aspect, while many animals also have a psychologic and social dimension, but they lack a spiritual dimension. This is contrary to God, who has a psychologic, social, and spiritual dimension without necessarily having a material or biologic dimension. Jesus is the God-man, being the one exception, although his divine nature was not contingent upon him taking on flesh. That leaves humans who end up being a hybrid, where we are necessarily biologic, psychologic, and social, but also spiritual. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters observes that humans are amphibians, half-spirit and half-animal. Thus, nature, man, and God all have different compositions of their nature using our multidimensional model. Now, there are always some difficulties when speaking of transcendent truths. Only God is omniscient or all-knowing, and thus every human does not know everything. We forget, we learn, we get things wrong continually in our lives. So, we need the intellectual virtues of curiosity, open-mindedness, and intellectual humility in our approach to any facts, but particularly transcendent truths. However, God gave us both a rational mind and the thoughts of many others that help us as we strive to know these transcendent truths about God, ourselves, and his world. Additionally, God, through his Spirit and the witness and work of Jesus, has given us additional instruction and help to guide us toward these transcendent truths through his Word, which is also known as special revelation. So, we need to approach this humbly but also know that we are not alone in this quest. The scientific inquiry of creation helps us to solve the mystery of the truths of God's creation. The philosopher Baruch Spinoza suggested that God reveals himself through creation, and therefore we can learn about religion and God by observing nature. This is supported by Paul in the book of Romans when he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities— His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Thus, we see from both philosophy and theology that the use of our brains in scientific inquiry through physics, biology, chemistry, and other fields is the basis of the general revelation of nature that should point us to God. It should be noted that the special revelation of Scripture then specifically points us to Jesus. Scientific discoveries are hopefully nudging us closer to the truth regarding our amazing universe, our highly complex bodies, or the tightly integrated nature of all things working together in harmony. Additionally, as we gaze upon creation and ponder the exquisitely balanced and wonderfully designed universe that is all around us, our contemplation should be like the psalmist when he states, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Thus, the study of creation is not an end in itself, but another means by which we can give God glory and grow closer to him. 
Our understanding of humanity's nature goes well beyond the mere biologic, as we have seen in this podcast where we have delved into this highly complex interrelationship amongst all four dimensions. As we strive to understand the elements and essentials of human flourishing, we see the necessity of the spiritual dimension working to keep all the other dimensions finely balanced and harmonious. Theological understanding or knowledge of the nature of God has been a tricky and contentious topic. However, this endeavor is vitally important, has several core truths which need to be firmly grasped, but again received with humility. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Paul reminds us that on this side of heaven, our knowledge of God and ultimate truth will be only partial. On the other hand, it should not be viewed as a futile exercise, since Christ made himself known and stated in John 14:9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If the virtues are important for us to achieve the basic goods, then what is the importance of pursuing the truth? Can't I just be a nice person and do good and leave all the contentious stuff to theologians? Well, first off, knowledge is a basic good. We have been designed to seek information, which we discussed in our Digital Revolution episodes, while we have also been designed to seek after the sacred or transcendent. Second, knowledge is vitally important to guide our actions that are being propelled and sustained by the virtues. Dr. Miller says, If transcendent practices are the on-ramp to awaken awareness, a moral code or the truth is the off-ramp, the place where we take our spiritual perceptual capacities and merge them into our lives of service and contribution, making choices and decisions that reflect that we are guided and loved, that we belong to one another, and that we're all related in the family of life. Thus, Within Dr. Miller's quote, we can see that the truth is a vitally important guide to keep us both going in the right direction and avoiding the pitfalls that can so easily beset us. Just like we have demonstrated when one thinks mistakenly that they can just be good without the truth, in the same way we cannot just focus on the true without the good. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 8.1 puts this in perspective when he states that knowledge puffs up but love builds up. Paul thus identifies the potential pitfall that lurks when we prioritize knowledge without love, which can result in pride. The good of love, on the other hand, should build and encourage others towards human flourishing. Pastor and writer Paul David Tripp in his excellent devotional New Morning Mercy says, theology without love is simply very bad theology. However, a source of knowledge, most importantly the Bible, should serve as a guide for our good works, as the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy observes when he says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thus, we see that knowledge should be pursued to ultimately equip us for good works. What are these good works? Pursuing the two greatest commandments to love God and love neighbors, while also pursuing the basic goods. 
The virtue of love and its relationship to God is tightly intertwined, as the Apostle John says in 1 John 4.16 when he makes the declaration that God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So we see clearly that the highest virtue, love, is also how we know we are in relation to God. However, this relationship and these good works cannot be achieved by our own human understanding, but only with the foundation of transcendent truths that prepare and equip us for these good works of love. In addition to the statement that God is love, Jesus himself casts a new light on the notion of truth when he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Certainly, God would be a God who knows the truth, but I think that Jesus is expanding our notion of the truth. He is truth itself. This moves the concept of truth from merely some factual statements or concepts into knowing Jesus Christ as the source and embodiment of all truth. We can then have a relationship with him who is not only pure love, but also omniscient or all-knowing. Scripture and evident reason were the foundations upon which Luther stood in the Reformation, but from a day-to-day and moment-by-moment perspective, having a continual prayerful relationship with he who is the truth will guide us to do his perfect and pleasing will for his glory, our good, and the benefit of humanity. Again, the scripture guides us in big-picture terms. However, to truly do God's will requires a harmonious relationship with God by attempting to perfectly do his will in every aspect of our lives. Remember the Lord's Prayer when it says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We will take a break here before we address the beautiful in our next episode so we can deeply contemplate both the good and the true in our lives. The virtues, the paramount being love, should be what characterizes our lives while being guided by the truth of creation, ourselves, and of God. We need to encourage one another in developing and using the virtues. Through prayer, we can receive grace from God to empower us by His Spirit to manifest and exercise the virtues in those times of temptation and trials. Finally, we need to have the intellectual virtues of curiosity, open-mindedness, and intellectual humility as we seek transcendent truths which, if correctly understood, will help guide our lives towards achieving the basic goods and, most importantly, the ultimate good of harmony or peace with God himself. Until then, wishing you increased flourishing as we press towards the goal of completing our humanity. Check out my show notes for references and additional resources. The show is also at rootsofflourishing.buzzsprout.com. Shoot me an email at rootsofflourishing at gmail.com with comments or questions. 